Hi, I'm Amy Porter, and this is my podcast. My mission is to show people how to empower themselves through music, business, and media. I try to see as clearly as possible how I can help. I showcase the music that I've played and the people I've met along the way. I'm a wife and a stepmom. You might know me as a professor, a performer, a producer, a publisher, a recording artist. I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. Welcome in to my Porter Flute Pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. Happy December. It's episode three in our fifth season. Okay, if you know me, you know that I like to tell and laugh at bad jokes, otherwise known as dad jokes, like this holiday joke. Where do little trees go to learn to be Christmas trees? Elementary school. Okay, so take that for what you will. Today I'm bringing on one particular funny girl who really knows how to tell a joke, an open mic night kind of joke. She loves sharing up a great comedy routine. I want you to meet a really cool musician, Alice Dade. Dr. Alice K. Dade and I share the middle initial of K and the fact that we both play the flute and graduated from the Juilliard School in New York City. She also dabbles in, you guessed it, comedy. With us in the pod steering the ship is Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. I went to the vault of my recordings and found some funny pieces by Uwe Korn, K-O-R-N. This is the jazz chartist played with Liz Ames at the piano, and it's from my 2018 play, Responding Out of the Cool. It's available on my Anatomy of Sound YouTube playlist if you're interested in seeing it live. Other works featured from the play on this podcast are his Chopin Waltz and his version of Bach's Bedinery. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. I'm so happy you're here. Alice K. Dade enjoys a career of great variety, including concerto and chamber music appearances, recording projects, television appearances, and she's been guest principal with members of the Swedish Radio Symphony, Bergen Philharmonic, Seoul Philharmonic, as well as St. Louis Symphony, Moscow Chamber Orchestra, New York Philharmonic, LA Philharmonic, and Detroit Symphony. Her first solo album, Living Music, was released in February 2018 on Naxos. Ms. Dade is a guest star of a new PBS series called Now Hear This. Scott Yu, Ms. Dade's husband and host of the show, travels the world chasing the secret histories of our greatest musical works and their composers while discovering connections to today's music, art, and culture. Professor Dade joined the faculty at the University of Missouri School of Music in 2011 and has presented masterclasses at many universities and music festivals around the world. A columnist of Chicago Flute Club's quarterly Pipeline newsletter since 2010, Ms. Dade has also been published in Flute Talk magazine, The Instrumentalist, and The Flute View. Alice left her childhood home at the age of 15 
to attend the Interlochen Arts Academy. Upon graduation, she attended the Juilliard School for Undergraduate and Graduate Studies. Alice is a Powell artist and plays a handmade 14K Powell flute with a platinum head joint. Alice Dade, welcome to Porter Flute Pod. Amy K. Porter, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so much fun that we share a middle initial K. We do. We do. That's my And yes, we also are alums of the Juilliard School. We are. Yep. yep. And you and I met in 2017 and we became fast friends. Thank you to Viviana Guzman. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Thank you, Viviana. And you are just so fascinating to me. I find your I find your life so fascinating. And I wanted to have you on Porter Flute Pod to shed some light on your life, if that's okay with you. Sure. Let's let's shed. Let's shed. <laughs> so you are, first of all, a professor of flute for 11 years at Missouri. You call it Mizzou? We call it M-I-Z-Z-O-U. Yes. University of Missouri in Columbia. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you've been there long enough to establish a stellar reputation as a teacher, mentor, uh, uh, all around amazing person. And that's your home base with, um, your, your, your husband, violinist and now producer Scott. Yeah. Yeah. You Scott, Scott you mm-hmm. spelled yeah. Y O O. And so I want to touch on your teaching and your chamber music series and Scott um, and PBS and all that. So, but first of all, okay. So your studio, how many students do you teach? And what is kind of the, the dynamic of someone in Missouri who says, I want to play the flute and is there more out there? So I got to say my students, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way. My students make the job. They're just the best. I learn from them every day. I've got 16 students this year. Um, Last year I had 18. Um, That's around where I keep it, I would say. Um, You know, all of my students are completely different. I have a lot of students from Missouri, some of whom are education majors, some are performance majors, some are a BA in um, biochemistry and BA in music, and then they're double majoring in biochemistry. Um, So what I really like about the studio is the variety. Um, I've got a student from California. I've got a student from Columbia, Medellin. I've got students from New Hampshire, Colorado. Um, I've had students from Iran. I mean, all walks of life. And what we all have in common is that we want to do something in music, whether it's performance or administration or teaching, um, being a band director, orchestra conductor, lots of things, composer. Um, But the general feeling is just that of support. Um, we talk about that a lot in studio is that, you know, there's just not room for, for competition. Um, This world is so small yet. It's so competitive. There aren't many positions. Why compete with your colleagues at school? I mean, going back to, to Juilliard, when I was a student there, those are all my friends, the flutes, 
we would go to Koreatown in New York every weekend, eat Korean food, and then go back to someone's apartment and play excerpts for each other. <laughs> it was like the dream. So my students just, they just help each other. They listen to each other. Um, they make great comments and suggestions in studio class. They're doing competitions and they're 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 doing all sorts of things. It's it's great. I don't know. I could talk about my students this whole podcast. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> I dedicate at least two episodes a series to my studio. <laughs> yeah. They're just I don't know. And also it's a difference in time periods. I mean, when I was a student, it felt very like okay, you've got like three three choices of what you can do. Choose one. And now students are making their own roads. And eventually, I think my generation made their own roads. I mean, I went to school with like Natalie Joachim, who is doing incredible, incredible things. Alex Sop, who has toured with um, Paul Simon. So there's, there's just, there are more options in that you can make it happen yourself. So, but yeah, that's my students. They're, they're awesome. They're really inspiring people. Don't forget Ryan Custerer. <laughs> I, I dedicated the very first Porter Flute podcast to him because he had just been um, deployed to the front lines of the <clears throat> pandemic. Ryan is such a special guy. And his, his wife, Gina, they were both my students. And Ryan, he he and his stepdad built their house together. I mean, he's a really just like incredible guy with this work ethic. That's just amazing. I mean, every week he would just do whatever I asked him to do. He, what a great guy. And now he's in an army band in the fife and drum corps. It's just amazing. Yeah. With another Michigan alum. So oh, that's great. Let's keep going into that fife and drum court. I love that. They love that. Um, they make quite a career out of it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I try to prepare my students for anything because I don't know if you experienced this, but at the very beginning of, you know, just when you're out of school, you may have opportunities that are nothing like you've ever wanted to do. Like, <laughs> I helped write a, a music theory book. <laughs> I never wanted to do that. It ended up being a really interesting experience. I, I was teaching five-year-olds how to make a sound on a head joint. As in 55-year-olds would come into the Suzuki school and I would make sure that in groups of 10, each one could make a sound. That was my Saturday. <laughs> but I just said, yes, I just took any opportunity I could thinking, okay, this will be experience. And it ended up being experience. So I try to help my students learn to write articles. Um, I help them understand how you get yourself out there. How do you find these opportunities? And a lot of it is just people skills, making sure that you feel comfortable talking to someone you've never met and, you know, making conversation. Cause sometimes it can be daunting. Like talking to someone who could be your employer. How do you make conversation with someone like that? You just remember their people and talk. So we'll have um, mock interviews. 
um, mock auditions, of course, but I just try to, to get them ready for anything, you know? I mean, it's great if you want to play in an orchestra. That's fantastic. But what else could you see yourself doing just in case another opportunity arises? And is there any, you know, maybe part-time job that you'd be interested in doing that could be fulfilling and leave you with enough energy to do all the work you have to do in flute at the end of the day? So I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I try to help them just understand that at first things are not going to look the way that you've dreamt, but sometimes what you've dreamt is great, but what you haven't even thought about could be even better. Um, I don't know. That's been my experience. I've done a lot of stuff I never thought I would do. (laughs) So, and I love it. It's great. It's a lot of surprises. And you teach from experience. That's a big job. It's a big yeah. job, Alice, to guide people. So congratulations. You're doing a great job. <laughs> well, I think that that's what teaching is all about, right? I mean, also, you know, I if things had come easily to me, I don't know if I'd be able to teach as well. I, I'm really good at failure, Amy. <laughs> And I've actually thought about writing a book about the upsides to failure. I really appreciate it. Like I, I just, I don't know. I really good. We'll look forward to that. (laughs) It would be a really funny book. (laughs) Okay. I'll write that down. Okay. Sounds good. I'll take a commercial break here to remind you that the Anatomy of Sound workshop you know and love has found a new home online. It's called AOS-Wellness, and we are here for you as a faculty to provide resources and products for arts educators and performing artists. Join for six months or one year and get our five changing channels every month, plus the back content from previous months. Those channels are wisdom, movement, meditation, breathing, and practice. So after this show, you can go to porterflute.com slash AOS and learn more. You can opt in for our seven-day trial and get access to my popular focus sheet, along with all of the wisdom we're bringing to you from our amazing faculty, only at the Anatomy of Sound. Let's talk about chamber music and why that's so important to you. You love chamber music. So I, that's something that, um, so I studied with Carol Woodsense 
for undergrad at Juilliard, and she had a class every Wednesday, or at least there the 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 concert was called Wednesdays at one. And Alice, I remember, I remember Wednesday one o'clock. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, there's just so much good literature for flute and strings and woodwind quintet and flute and harp. And I mean, the list goes on. And um, I love that it can get really personable. And I especially like when there's interaction with the audience and you can speak a little bit um, to help them understand what they're about to hear or what they just heard. Um, so, yeah, I just... I kind of fell into chamber music, but I just love it. In fact, next week I'm playing um, Mozart flute quartet in D major in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and then a couple of weeks after Scott and I are having a home concert in our house um, through a local chamber series called Odyssey Chamber Series in Columbia, Missouri. And I'm playing with um, a cellist named Dion Sang, who's the cello professor at UT Austin. Um, we're playing um, Via Lobos, The Jet Whistle, um, which actually there's a video of me playing that with Beyond in 2015 on YouTube. And it was the first piece I performed on my Powell 14K flute. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I had had wow. my flute for three weeks. <laughs> I played that, that piece. But um, I yeah. love, love The Jet Whistle. It's a great, it's a great piece to perform. You have to start somewhere. So I, I want to segue then into meeting, you know, your great love. And then there's this chamber music series mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you have. Tell me about that. Okay. So I, I met my husband, Scott, when I was a grad student at Juilliard in 2003. And, um, at the time he had an orchestra in New York called um, Metamorphosen and he needed a flutist for Brandenburg four. So I performed Brandenburg four with him and we became friends. Um, he's just a really charismatic, funny, intelligent guy. And um, I, we kept in touch because after at New York, I went to Miami for New World Symphony and he came and conducted New World Symphony. So I would see him there. And then I moved to Sweden for three years and Scott was conducting in, um, well, near Copenhagen for many years. So we would be on Facebook chat at the same time. And I was giving him like love advice and we were just talking, but he hired me in 2008 to perform at his festival in California. It's called Festival Mosaic. And what a great festival. I mean, some of my, my favorite people perform there, like Steve Copes from um, St. Paul Chamber. He's the concertmaster there. And um, anyway, just many, many musician friends. And it's it's special because there's a series called Notable Encounters and it's not a lecture. It's more of an insight to the music um, so that Scott will write a script for each musician. And in the script, he's explaining either, you know, how the, the music was built or what kind of music the composer was inspired by to write that music. And I mean, he uses sometimes like, 
the Beach Boys to explain what ABAB form is. It's really, it's funny and it's interesting. And um, he goes off script a little bit and that's where the humor is. Like, cause it's very just natural. And um, that is actually where that series is where Now Hear This, which is a PBS series about the first series about classical music on prime time in over 50 years. Um, well, you are just leading me forward in my <laughs> podcast. I cannot wait to talk about this PBS series. So not to slight Festival Mosaic, but I'm so amazed that this led to him writing out the scripts. So I have questions. So yeah. can you speak about now hear this? And the the process of creation, first of all, and then we'll we'll get into you and behind the scenes and how he involved you and all that. But okay. start with the beginning. Did it start at Festival Mosaic? And he said, "Hey, I could do this. I could shop this because I was I was watching PBS when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Great mm-hmm. performances, all Bernstein, yeah. Mahler." Yeah. New York Philharmonic, right? Remember all that? And oh yeah, well, oh, you yeah. wouldn't, but I would. Well, no. well, but I that legendary, right? Legendary. Those, so yeah. tell me what happened. So Scott came up with the idea of explaining chamber music and music in general at in this way at Festival Mosaic, and he thought throughout it, you know, this would make a great television series. We need something that is like Bernstein, but going on now. Something maybe more modern and just something new and maybe with travel or something. So kind of like Anthony Bourdain, but instead of cooking, it's about music. So Scott, actually with with our friend Beyonce Sang, this, this cellist, Scott did a notable encounter at UT Austin with Bion. And he also performed a concert the next day. So it's kind of like a progressive um, dinner in a way that each day it's, it's more playing, um, but it starts out with more explanation and musical examples. And um, after the concert, this very tall man came up to Scott and he said, you know, I really, I really enjoyed the concert, but what I especially enjoyed was yesterday and the day before. And Scott said, oh, well, thank you very much. And he said, well, my name is Harry Lynch and I'm a director for PBS and I think we should do a show together. And Scott was just kind of like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, who are you? Whatever. <laughs> so he, uh, he didn't think much of it. But then two weeks later, he heard from Harry Lynch. He called Scott and he said, okay, let's start making our show. And at first, it was going to be a notable encounter that was just filmed in like a black box theater so that it would just be, you know, on TV so more people could see it. And he said, you know, but I'm warning you that this won't be seen much. I mean, it will be downloadable, but it won't be shown prime time or I mean, that's impossible to do that. And Scott said, "Okay, what if I said I wanted to do more than that? (laughs) And Harry said. Well, I mean, I guess we could. And then they came up with this concept of it's a travel show with a little bit of mystery and it's about classical music like Anthony Bourdain. And um, 
Harry said, okay, let's make the first episode. So they went to Italy with two camera people, a sound engineer, and um, Harry at the time was directing and producing at the same time. Eventually a producer would come along as well. And um, they traveled all around Italy just talking about Vivaldi Four Seasons. That's the first episode. But I know it well because I bugged you for it. (laughs) You did bug me for it. But um, it's crazy how it happened because it felt like it just fell into Scott's lap. But I always felt like, you know, this is Scott's, you know, Scott's a conductor, a violinist. Um, He does many things, but he I feel that he's such a great communicator. And that's what classical music needs. We need a communicator so that we can find more audience and and help people understand why musicians who have studied this music love it so much. So, um, yeah, and now they're on their fifth season. Um, they We just finished filming an episode about um, Piazzolla in Argentina. Um, so all of that will premiere in the spring. Okay. So back up, (laughs) he writes the scripts and then there's there's no real script. What? Yeah, there's no script. It's, 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 it's considered a docu-series so that there's a storyline, a basic storyline, but which Harry Lynch comes up with. Harry Lynch is amazing because he is not really a, a musician. He plays the guitar. He actually just built his own guitar and he went to this um, class in Spain, really interesting, but he knows so much about classical music. He just loves it. And he finds stories and writes the basic, you know, beginning, middle, end of the episode. And then each scene, he just gives us a directive of, okay, we want you to get the guest to come to this conclusion in this scene and go. <laughs> and then and then Scott gets the, the guest to get to that point. Or sometimes the guest is given the directive and the guest is trying to get Scott and I to say something. So this is always with an expert and he's a host with an expert on Vivaldi or Handel or whoever you've done, um, mm-hmm. Amy Beach. Mm-hmm. So then the expert, they're not even given a list of questions. I mean, even I gave you a list of questions the night before. Don't you give your guests a list of questions, Alice? The, the thing is, we're not actors. And neither is the expert. So we discovered in, I mean, you know, um, what do they say on, on social media? Like, I'm going to spill the tea a little bit on uh, episode two. So episode two is about J.S. Bach. And Harry wanted Scott and I to have a, an actual surprise of, of seeing this crypt that is below a church in um, Curtin, where, where Bach was part of his career. And, I mean, that surprise that you see in the episode is real. Like Scott and I had no idea we were going to see a crypt that day. (laughs) I get it. But there are some episodes you had to dress up. What was that? You were in costume. 
Yeah. Well, that was, that was at the end of Bach, I guess in the beginning too, where um, we wore costume that would, that was pretty much correct to Bach's time so that we could learn the dances of Bach. I remember that. That's yeah. right. And actually the, the, the uh, costume that Scott wore, Dustin Hoffman wore in the, the film Perfume. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. Trivia. <laughs> it's like, remember that VH1 bubble? There would be a music video and then a bubble of a fact would come up. Yeah, so it's um, it's just a real experience. And in a couple of episodes, we've stayed in one place, like during the pandemic, um, we filmed the Beethoven episode where I actually, I don't play in that episode. I'm just the producer of the recording they're making. And because we're, we were in one place near Tanglewood, we could, it was just more comfortable because normally we would be moving, traveling every day and sometimes more than once a day. So um, we had someone in wardrobe, someone in makeup, especially because there were two actors in that episode, we needed we needed someone in makeup for sure and wardrobe. Um, but yeah, the the smaller the crew, the better, just because you're you're getting and hopping into a van and driving sometimes in the middle of nowhere to see a harpsichord or a or a violin or something. Um, and you know, it would be difficult yeah. if there were 30 people. Yeah. So I just remember so many um scenes from some of these episodes for instance when he saw an, a very old 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 violin mm -hmm. and he was given it to play yeah that was very moving that was was that the Stradivarius from the yes. first episode yes first yeah yeah well can you because we have something similar in the flute world but can you imagine like if Scott asked me to hold a Strad that he's borrowing it's scary yeah. yeah I mean there's so much history in that that piece of wood and if anything were to happen to it I just can't even think about it yeah so. well what a great service you're doing for everyone it's on PBS it's called now hear this with Scott you and behind the scenes with Alice Dade it's so exciting and we're on season five right we're season five is being filmed now Fantastic. So this right. So anyway, um, season four is coming out this spring. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about humor. How important of a hobby is humor to you, Professor? So, 
Okay. Um, I have always loved humor. Um, when I was a student in New York, I did some, you know, open mic nights and things like that. And um, I just love making people laugh and I need humor to get through. I mean, you know, everyone in life overcomes some kind of adversity. And for me, humor is the way to go over it or to get past it. Um, Cause you can't take yourself too seriously. You know, you gotta be able to laugh at yourself. And um, when I got the job at University of Missouri, I thought about, you know, what about this humor thing? And at the time I just saw all of the obstacles in front of actually being able to do it because I don't necessarily want to do, there is an open mic night in Columbia, Missouri, but I don't necessarily want to, um, I don't necessarily want my students to see me do an open mic night. <laughs> I don't know why it's just, it's too, it's kind of like when students come to your recital that, I mean, that's the toughest audience because you've told them everything you're thinking. So they know what you're thinking when you walk out on stage and for them to see me doing something completely different. I don't know. So I didn't do it for a long time. And then when I got tenure at, at the university, I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to doing this. So I took a class. <clears throat> on um it's at second city you can take a class online it's just about stand-up comedy every week you have to post a five minute set of your comedy from an open mic night and it has to be presented in a different way so one week i was in character the entire time another week it was more of the seinfeld um presentation so that it was just like you notice something in everyday life and you comment on how funny it is and from your perspective. Um, so that first week when the class started, I happened to be in Las Vegas on vacation. So I did a stand, stand up in Las Vegas um, at this, this club. And actually the comedians in Las Vegas are incredible. Like the open mic night there was insane. Right. Oh, I bet. Oh, they're so good. I mean, if you ever want to become a stand up comedian, just go to Las Vegas. I mean, there's so many open mic nights. And then I found that actually there's a different open mic night every day of the week in St. Louis, which is two hours away from me. So I was driving two hours to get to an open mic night and driving home. And I thought, well, this is good. I won't know anyone at the open mic nights. No, one open mic night, I did a set. Luckily it went okay. No tomatoes were thrown. And afterwards, the librarian from the St. Louis Symphony came up to me and said, Hey, Alex. <laughs> I, I know like, you. I know you. And he I was don't. like, You do stand up comedy? And I was like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> like, no, of course, I know who he is. But it was really funny. Um, so I'm not doing it as often now. I did it a little bit over the pandemic, but I got to say stand up or like open mic night on FaceTime is not the same as just like in person with people, you know, commenting back and forth. But um, I've written an article. It was a couple years back in Flute Talk comparing comedy to playing the flute because I think that's really interesting. But um, I think hobbies in general are important. 
whether it's comedy or building miniatures or whatever, because it really makes you gain perspective on what you're doing in the flute world, because, you know, we're working on such minutia. And when I was doing comedy, I mean, I was a novice. So to start all over again, it's refreshing yet frustrating at the same time. But what about you, Amy? Do you have hobbies? My business is. Your business, but okay. And did you experience something similar? Where I started all over again in business school in July of 2020. You went to business school. No, I didn't physically go or, and I don't have a degree, but the University of Michigan Innovation Partners found me and said, we will be meeting every Wednesday. And I was like, for how long? And they said, mm, forever, for the foreseeable future. They picked me up and made me into a brand. I kid you not. I'm having so much fun. I, I did a National Science Foundation customer discovery, a uh, three-month course with Laura Dwyer. So we know all that. I'm in mentorship every week. Uh, I have worked with the Small Business Development Council of Michigan from the state of Michigan. Those people are tough and they have vocabulary. Like I've gotten into it on another podcast, but wow, business is so much fun that I think by the time I retire as a flute professor, uh -huh. I can start over. Well, I can continue completely teaching on my own and playing concerts and then really rocking the business, right? Wow. I didn't know this, Amy. That is so cool. Well, the business is I have three LLCs. I have, uh, we'll start from macro, which is Porter Productions, which is everything outside the University of Michigan. So my solo career, my recording, right? Then mm -hmm. I have, you, you dial down to Anatomy of Sound LLC, which is my uh, education, my curriculum. And then I have Voicebox 3D, which produces a 3D long rib cage simulator called My Breathing Buddy. I am so, so I had, excited I had to have, about that. I had to have three separate LLCs. So that's really, if, if that, you know, some people make their life doing this. Mm -hmm. And so my mentors have done this seven times over and sold their companies. Mm -hmm. So I'm mentored by the best and they see something in me that I never did still mm -hmm. kind of don't, but I'm having fun. <laughs> so I think awesome. it's, I think it's important to take your whole life and put it into what works for you? Don't try to fit into anybody's mold. I guess that's our lesson here, Alice, right? To everyone yeah. listening. Let me take one more opportunity to introduce you to the anatomy of sound where you can do a 34 minute yoga class or several different meditations all for free. You can see more of our content at AOS hyphen wellness. And if you're on our Porter flute website, it's porterflute.com slash AOS. Check us out for memberships and products that help the performing artists and arts educators. I want to touch on how things between flute players 
are much more family oriented than we would ever know. Like we're a family, we're colleagues, we have to get along. And you and I only met in 2017. You would have thought we'd known each other our whole lives, but can you, can you you speak to why flute players in general, the commonwealth of flutists should smile and hug and get along and not feel uh, any kind of comparing uh, to careers or talent levels or, you know, because everybody's path is different, but you speak to it, Alice. So here's my thought on competition. Um, Without competition, I mean, you need a little bit of that, at least I do, because um, I need outside accountability to, to accomplish something. I'm, I'm actually in my core, very lazy. (laughs) So I need outside accountability. Like, for example, if I say I'm going to start going to the gym, I can't do it on my own. I need a friend who will say, Hey, let's go to the gym. Meet me at two. I will be there because it's for the friend. It's not all about me. If it's all about me, it's boring. So I like to try and be a better player just sticking with flute because I want my voice to be very specific. The piece of music or what I'm really trying to say, um, I want it to be exactly how I want to say. So that's my outside accountability is just listening to myself over and over again, recording myself every day. Is everyone in my studio and everyone's studio hearing this? (laughs) Recording myself every day and realizing, ah, I'm not saying what I actually intend to say here. Let's fix that. Um, why don't allow it to turn into, I'm better than this person. Do you know what I mean? Because then it becomes ugly. Oh yes. Then or, it's ugly. Or you're counting someone else's trophies or someone else's paycheck. Don't count someone else's money. People don't look at how many flutes they have and determine that, uh, yeah, I won't even go there. Yeah, but I will say jealousy is a nasty feeling, okay? However, it can also be a sign of what you actually want. So instead of allowing yourself to fester in jealousy, acknowledge the fact that, ah, I want that. How can I make that happen for myself? It's not, it's actually never about other people. It's about what you want, what your path is. And maybe this sounds lame, but I mean, why turn it into something about what someone else has that you don't? Because then you could lose a friend. It can take away from their accomplishment and they deserve to feel good about their accomplishment. So just check in with yourself is what I would say. It's we need each other because what we do is so competitive because like I said, there aren't many positions, but also to make your own position, like we've been talking about, that's a lot of work and we need support. And yes, it's lonely. It's it's lonely. lonely. And I mean, I feel bad for pianists, you know, they, they, they practice alone and they play, they're able, well, I'm jealous because they get to play concerts completely alone. That would be great. But on the other hand, you know, I, I love collaborating. 
where would I be without people? So keep your friends and look to them for inspiration. If they give you back a feeling that does not feel good, step away from that person. You don't need that, but just spread love. I mean, it's, I just, yeah. Inspiration. Like when I, um, when I was 15, I went to Interlochen for high school and I mean, I was in the back of the band. I was really, you know, I was from Kentucky. I, I, I just didn't know much. In fact, honestly, Amy, I didn't really know what four, four meant. My rhythm was so bad at 15. We start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. And I, um, I kind of remember thinking, wow, everyone is so much better than me. I'm so behind. But there was a moment where I kind of realized, all right, I have a choice. Either they can be like my competition, which felt dumb even saying that because I knew I was really behind. Or I can look for them for help. And I remember playing for my friend Carl Butler. He was principal in orchestra. I was like eighth in band. And he helped me. And he was such a nice person. And now he's this fabulous lawyer in Indiana. But he um, he still plays really, really well. Um, he's just a fantastic food player. And That's so awesome. You were eighth chair and he's a lawyer. <laughs> he's a lawyer. But I... He's I a learned- great lawyer because he's he was a great flutist. That's right. I have I have an alum who's a great lawyer because she was a great flutist and she still is. That's why yeah. a degree in music is so great. You, you know, it's like a vehicle. You're just learning how to be driven, committed, intentional in something else. And you can apply that to all areas of life. I love it. It's so That's good. Right. That's right. I'm glad you brought up that green monster of jealousy. It's something we've all felt at all stages and all ages of our life. And if we can use it to, and recognize it as something toxic and turn it into something like a vitamin pill or something, (laughs) it could lead to better energy. I love when I feel a twinge of jealousy because I realize it helps me understand what I want. Sometimes I'm not sure what I want next. And then, ah, that's what I want. Okay, let's think about that. What could I do? But then you have a dream. There you go. You know, I I have to, I got to have that. I mean, I have dreams that I'm not sure I'll ever achieve, but I love having them. Okay, so let's name like a dream. I'll name mine first, Grammy. Is yours Grammy? No. Okay, what's yours? Come on, tell our audience what your big dream is. Come on, pie in the sky. All right. We're not going to laugh. I want to write a book. And I want um, I want to go on a book tour. Okay. <laughs> I'm already going to help read the book. The book is about overcoming adversity. And just like we were talking about, it's only a vehicle. It's about classical music, but it's not only for classical musicians. It's a story of how you I've overcome adversity trying to achieve goals. 
but it'd be funny. And, and I don't know, I just, it's this idea that's been going on in my head for a long time. I know that this really excites me and yet embarrasses me because I can't believe I just told you that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that gym accountability friend mm-hmm. <laughs> that you asked for, okay, mm-hmm. I can be the book accountability friend. Mm. I'm going to make sure you write this book. Okay. Sound good? That sounds good. I think it needs to have some kind of video component. Oh, so I'm fine. I love producing things. I make movies. <laughs> you do make movies. That's I true. do. I love movie making movies. I don't really so watch is, them. But Is Grammy, that is your ultimate? Pretty much the the acknowledgement from your peers of being in that 1% is quite astonishing. And I love making records. I love being in the recording studio and having to nail everything the same way three times in a row or even less. And then um, I love the process. I love filming. I love, you know, the podcast here is such a joy for me because um, I get to just say what I want and have all my friends here and no one has to come if they don't want to. You see, it's like that private space that I have just for my creativity. So yeah, I think Grammy and then pretty much I would stop and say, I'm already doing everything I, I want to do. Pie in the sky, it's already here. That's great. Yeah. That's really great. How about you? Are you getting there? Are you getting there with your, you know, uh, you know, you reach a certain age where you're like, you know what? I'm I'm happy and I better acknowledge that. Right. Yeah. No, I, I gotta say this year, I don't know what to do because I'm happy. Well, you also moved into your dream home, which you'd looked for, for at least two years. And then you lived out of boxes. So I'll just fill everybody in on that little trauma. So, I mean, for you to be settled in a home, uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. These are all of Scott's orchestral scores behind me or parts. Actually, these are the parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From afar, it looks like a lot of red and white towels. It, do- it does, but no, it would be kind of, yeah, these are all our towels. Um, so I am getting close personally and professionally. I'm, I'm performing the Cachaturian concerto with orchestra for the first time in February. That's a big one. Was that a goal? Did you ask for that? Wow. You asked to play the Cachaturian. I love that piece. I, I just, it's such a, I don't know. Yeah. I got it. uh, You got it. I'll give you that love. No problem. I'm coming to you, Jalapa, <laughs> playing, playing the Gantatorian. Um, so I'm playing, yeah, and yeah, playing the big pieces that I haven't gotten to play yet and perform yet. That's that's one of them. Um, Scott and I would like to have kids, so we're working on that. It's an exciting time. Yeah, it's an exciting time, and what. You have you ever seen the movie Julie and Julia? Yes. You know that moment where, okay, it's about the movie about Julia, Ch- Julie uh, Childs, child, singular. Um, she's in France. She's loving it. She's eating all the food. She has a great life. 
And there's this moment where she says, what should I do? And that it gives me goosebumps every time because here's this woman in her early forties and she hasn't figured out what her niche is yet. And that's what I love about what we do because my students all are having that moment. What should I do? And I love helping them figure out, well, what is it that you want? Um, and it kind of speaks to um, survival of the flutist, Marianne Kadigian's book. Oh, I cry every time I read that thing because it's so true. You know, there's something you want. And then when you realize, okay, I need to alter my path a little bit. So what is that path? I just, oh, it gives me goosebumps talking about it. I just love figuring that out. It's a luxury to be a creator. It's a luxury to be a creator and to ask yourself that question and then to have the opportunity to make it come to fruition. It, it really is a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. We are really, really lucky people to be able to be in music. I agree. And I'm really lucky to have you as my friend and have you on my podcast. And thank you to all the Mizzou flute students who are listening to Porter Flute Pod. Porter Flute Pod. Yeah, I know. I know that they are and they love it. And I do too. Um, Thank you. I am grateful for all that you do. And, you know, you're you're teaching and performing, of course, but the way you explain things, I remember specifically you were explaining Daphnis and Chloe. Um, you got to the piano, you were going through the chords and you were narrating, okay, here's what's happening now. Okay. And this, there's a little bit of tension here. So show me that your teaching is so good. And inspiring. Like, and you mentioned several books while you were giving your master classes at Flutes by the Sea, and I bought all those books. No, you were just, you're awesome. You're great. We're lucky to have you around. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for being a Porter Flute Pod, Alice Dade. Of course. I'm grateful to be here. Thanks again for being in Porter Flute Pod. If you'd like to check out more about Alice, you can visit her at alicekdade.com. Visit us over at porterflute.com. That's our new website for the show. amyporter.com has been revamped, so students can go there and click on UMish FAQs or Porter's Curriculum to learn more about me. You can also find me as Porter Flute and Anatomy of Sound on YouTube and on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Porter Flute and AOS Wellness. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.